Why are missionaries being sent to the places where people have not yet heard the name of Jesus? And I think a, a really good book, if you want to turn to the book of Romans in, in your New Testaments, uh, the, the book of Romans, we're going to focus our time in chapter 10. But the, the letter that Paul writes to the Romans is a really good book to read if you want to see the purpose of missions. Uh, because Paul wrote it to the Roman church because he wanted them to send him to Spain. Uh, they, were in, they were in Rome and, and Spain's over here. They had not had the gospel reach them yet. And Paul felt the call of God to go where the gospel had not yet been proclaimed. And so Paul writes to the Roman church uh, in asking them to, to provide funds for him to, to go there. Uh, but they didn't know him yet. Uh, he hadn't yet been able to visit them uh, since the church in Rome had been established. And so he's wanting a church to send him, and they don't know who he is. So he's writing this letter as kind of a resume to be their missionary. He, he's writing down his theology of mission, his, the doctrine that he understands, so that they can be assured that he's going to preach the same gospel that they preach. That he's going to teach the same scriptures that they are teaching in their own church. And so, uh, in Romans chapter 1 through 3, just to give a very brief outline of the book of Romans. Romans 1 through 3, we see that all are sinful. You know, the Jews are sinful because God literally gave the Jews his law through Moses. And no one was able to perfectly keep it. And so they are separated from God because he is holy and they have sinned and so they are not. And so they, they are worthy of condemnation. But also everybody else, the Gentiles, everyone who's not a Jew, even though they haven't received the literal law of God, they have the law of God written on their hearts, as do all of us, it says in Romans chapter 2. Uh, meaning that the morality uh, that God has, has given us is reflected in many of our laws, in societies all over the world throughout all of history. Not every single law is modeled after God's morality, but we have some. You know, do not murder. You know, do not, do not steal. Do not lie. These are general, uh, general uh, things that, that people have laws against. And, and, yet, and yet, even in our own laws that are based on God's morality, we still, we still break we still break that morality, even the one that we set up for ourselves. And so we are also culpable. We are also worthy of condemnation and separation from God. But in Romans 3 to 5, we have God's response. God's response to our hopelessness, our separation from him. He has, he has sent his son. Our hope is not in the law. Our hope is not in the good works that we do, but our hope is in his son who he sent to this earth, he lived a perfect life, Jesus Christ, and then he was sacrificed on the cross for the sins of those who would believe in him, and then resurrected in victory over that sin and over that death which separates us from him. That is how God has responded, by sending his son. And then in Romans 6 to 9, we have the, um, the results of that salvation. What is the result of that salvation? Therefore, now no one is condemned. No one is condemned if they are in Christ Jesus. For the law, for the law of liberty has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Um, these are the results of our salvation. No one whom God saves can be plucked from his hand. And then we come to Romans chapter 10. Paul has told us now what God has done. He sent Christ in the likeness of sin and for sin. But now he's telling us 
what the truly regenerate will do in response to the call of God to salvation. This is, this is the gospel. This is the response to the gospel. So read with me first in Romans 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the gospel. You call upon the name of Jesus and you will be saved. This is, this is what is expected of those who hear the call of God, that we recognize that we have sin. We have sin that separates us from him, and we must confess that sin. We must confess that sin, but also believe that Jesus was the appropriate atonement to pay for that sin, to bridge the gap. We call it, um, we call it the, impute, the imputed righteousness of Christ. We have our sin, and when we put our faith in Christ and repent from our sin, we impute our sins or we transfer our sins onto Christ, and he pays for them on the cross once and for all. But then simultaneously, Christ also imputes or, or gives his righteousness to us so that God sees us as he sees Christ as a co-heir with Christ. We are made righteous. But what I want for us to spend time on this morning is how do we hear that gospel? How do we, how do we know that that's the way to be saved? You know, we have, we have the word of God, and, and I believe everybody here has access right in front of them or in their hands uh, a copy of the word of God in a language that you can understand and you can read for yourself and you can hear people like me and, and Pastor Kevin faithfully preach what the gospel is that you might respond, and that's how you heard. That's how you heard. How do other people hear? Well, that's, this is what Paul now turns his attention to in, in verse 14 and 15 where we're going to spend most of our time. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For sinners to call upon God's name, we must go and boldly proclaim. This is an urgent matter. There's, there's over one billion people in the world right now that have really never heard the name of Christ. You know, I get, I ask, I get asked the question often, you know, what about the, the one guy on the deserted island who's never heard the name of Jesus? Is God still going to send him to hell? And I respond, well, you don't have to just go to a deserted island to find one person who hasn't heard it. There's over a billion people in the world in, in, in Asia, in Africa, and all over the place who have really never heard the name of Jesus. What about them? Will God still send them to hell if they never hear the name of Jesus? And what we read in, in Romans, when I just summarize for you, is yes, they are. They are. They are going to die in their sin because they've never heard. How can they believe if they never hear? And there's two different responses you can have to this. The, the critic is going to say, well, how could God do such a thing? Uh, why couldn't he just make another way for it to happen? But that's the wrong question to ask. We're not allowed to ask a presumptive question like that. That is one of the secret things of God that we see in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God. The, the fact of the matter is we are the ones who are ordained to go 
God uses believers, the ones who he has regenerated, who he has saved. He uses us to go to those people who haven't heard. It is our responsibility to go and to send. Now, for us as Baptists, we, have a, we are blessed to have a rich missionary history. Um, and I, I, think, I think of several Several missionaries who felt this urgency to go to where the gospel had not been preached. I, I think of William Carey specifically. He's known as the, the father of modern missions. And, and some say that he was the first, uh, perhaps the first Baptist missionary ever sent out. He lived in England in the, in the 1700s and he was a bivocational pastor. And so when he wasn't preaching, he was actually a cobbler. which He didn't make peach cobblers and all those things, but he, he made and mended shoes. You know, can you imagine Pastor Kevin coming to your house? Uh, on Monday through Saturday asking if any of your shoes needed repair. You know, this is what this guy was doing. Uh, he, was, he was bivocational. But in 1792, he wrote a paper uh, which was very lengthy and very wordy. I'll see if I can remember it. He named the paper An Inquiry into the Christian Obligation to Use Means to Convert Heathens. Okay. Don't ask me to say that fast. Uh, I had to, had to slow down for it. But you can, it's kind of one of those where you can tell exactly what it's about just by the title, right? You know, he's saying we Christians have an obligation to go. Not only just to go, but the means that God has given us, our, our finances, our resources, our time. He's given us a means to do it, and we have an obligation to use those means to what? To convert the heathens. Now, the word heathens, we don't throw that word around as much uh, today uh, back then, they, they really used it to talk, uh, specifically to talk about uh, some people that they knew of in eastern countries like China and, and India and such. And it was just kind of, that was just kind of the word that they used to describe those people. But uh, uh, possibly rightly so, because, we, you know, when we think of heathens, we, uh, we think of people we want to stay away from, right? You, you know, we as, as parents, we're like, kids, you got to stay away from them. They are heathens, you know, you just, you just stay away from them. Or maybe, maybe some of us have already given up hope and we already just call our own kids heathens, you know. And, uh, you, you know, it's, but it's something you, you stay away from, you know. And, and something that William Carey did was he did not just retreat from them. He, he didn't say those are people to stay away from. William Carey said, we need to go to them. We have the obligation to go to them. Of course, they're acting uh, of course they're acting in such ways because they don't know the name of Jesus. They have never heard his name. Of course, they are, um, of course they're forcing females to be illiter- illiterate. Of course they're engaging in female infanticide. Of course they're um, engaging in this, this just awful practice that used to be done. It was called, it's called sati, and, it, and it's where uh, younger girls were often married to older men. And then when the older man died, the young widow was burned alive in a ceremonial fashion. And it's just, and it's just, it's just awful, you know. And you can see why you can see why they were referred to as the heathens. But until William Carey, they were just being left in that. William Carey said, "We must go." And a year after he wrote that paper, he and his family up and went to India, landed in Calcutta, and and he kind of went all over the country. Uh, and then for seven years, there was no converts. No converts for seven years, and yet he remained faithful. And by the end of his ministry, he had uh, many converts, and there were 12 mission stations all across India. He had translated the Bible into 40 different languages. He raised three sons that became missionaries themselves, and he set up churches 
that were led by local people rather than just by missionaries. It's, this is why he's called the father of modern, modern missions. William Carey knew that in order, for, in order for the heathens to call upon God's name, he must go and boldly proclaim. What are we doing to boldly proclaim? What are you doing in your workplace, in your schools, in your family gatherings? What are you doing among your neighbors to proclaim the name of Christ? Because it is very possible. It's not probable that, it's not probable that people here have not heard the name of Jesus, but it's extremely probable that they have a vast misunderstanding of what the gospel truly is. What are you doing to go to those people around you to explain to them what is going to save their soul? What are you doing to send others to go to the nations that have not heard? What are you considering to possibly go yourselves? And then we have verse 15. How does God see such people? How does he see such people who proclaim his name around them and to the nations? He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Proclaim the gospel without retreat and God will see your beautiful feet. I think, I think the world largely sees beauty the wrong way today. I think uh, the church even has lost sight of what is truly beautiful. What true beauty is in the eyes of God. Women, girls, the, the, the culture has indoctrinated you if you walk the if if you watch commercials and and tv shows and social medias you will clearly see that the the world's trying to indoctrinate you that your outward appearance matters a whole whole lot with all the things they tried to to sell you and the image they try to get you to have i remember being in el salvador they uh the women there they they found beauty to mean uh light skin and and light hair just kind of like a lot of american women and they just idolize that look and, and of course none of them are light skin they're they're dark skin and so they're just living in uh, de- in desire to look like something they're not they're they're just led astray by by the culture and i think we very much are too don't listen to those voices look at god's word what does god find truly beautiful and men, uh, I, think, I think of a lot of us as men, we don't even know if we're allowed to be called beautiful, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I like God calling me beautiful there. I'm not even sure that's something I want to aspire to. But, but listen, the, the culture has done that to us too. We have been indoctrinated to, to think that we can't be uh, beautiful. We don't want to be beautiful. You know, we're, we're manly and stuff like that. Well, guess what? You can be manly and beautiful. You can be a good leader of your family, and beautiful. God wants to see you as beautiful, and we must desire to be beautiful too. That might take some time to redefine the word beautiful for you, but look to God's word for our definitions. And what does God find beautiful? He finds evangelism beautiful. Why? Because it shows that you understand what God has done for you. He's plucked you out of eternal damnation. You are headed for eternal life in hell, and he has saved you from that if you've put your faith in him and repented from sin. What has God done for you? 
It shows that you actually care about the souls of others. God does not intend for us to be, uh, to be saved and, and then just to sit around for the rest of our life with our fire insurance and, and have the hope of eternal life without ever telling others what he's done for us. God wants us to replicate, wants to replicate the, the, the truth and the good news that he's given to us in others. And it also shows that you love God and that you want what he wants. The true believer is constantly praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. What can you do to fulfill the will of God? Evangelize, share the truth, and you will be beautiful. The only qualification to evangelize is to know the gospel. You don't, uh, it doesn't matter how mature in your walk you are or how long you've been a Christian. I, I think of the first uh, I think of the first missionary that Jesus sent out, you know, it wasn't one of his disciples. It wasn't one of those that were close to him there in his early ministry. If you look in in Mark chapter 1, the first missionary Jesus actually sent out that's recorded is when he went to the land of the Gerasenes, and and there's a man who's been living in the tombs, you know, and he's, he's so strengthened by the demons who are within him. He's breaking chains, and people are scared of him, and Jesus and his disciples come, and Jesus isn't scared of him. He calls out, the man, and we find out his name's Legion because of the just thousands of demons that reside within him, and Jesus casts them out into the pigs. And then this man, freed from his bondage to evil, says to Jesus, let me follow you. Let me be uh, with you and follow you around. And Jesus says, no. No, you're not going to follow me. He says, you're going to go into the Decapolis, the ten cities around the area, and you're going to go and proclaim what I have done for you. That's the only qualification that you need in order to evangelize. You need to know what God has done for you. If you know enough about the gospel to have been saved, you know enough about the gospel to share it with others. And you don't need to wait for this magical benchmark of, uh, of how much Bible knowledge you have. You, know, you don't need to be able to pronounce every name in Jesus' genealogy to go and share the gospel, right? Um, you can... You can have a very basic knowledge, just knowing what God has done for you to go share with others. And should you increase in knowledge over time? Sure, that's part of our sanctification. That's one of the things that we should be growing in is knowledge of who God is and knowledge of his word. Uh, But oftentimes I found that I increase in knowledge about God's word when I go and share with others and get questions I don't know the answer to. I, I kind of rejoice inside when I get a question asked to me that I don't know the answer to, because like, oh, right, now I get to go back and figure out something I didn't even know I didn't know, you know? So I promise you, if you go and evangelize regularly, you will mature in your faith. You will grow in your knowledge of the Bible, because you'll have no other choice to if you want to do effective evangelism. You are called to go and proclaim without retreat. And God will see your beautiful feet. Now, now, why feet? Why feet? Well, feet kind of, they signify uh, activity, uh, motion, progress, right? We're walking, we're running. Uh, so beautiful are those who actively move to progress the gospel, is what, is what God is saying here through Paul. Teenagers, do you want to be beautiful? Do you want to be truly beautiful? Don't try to change yourself to conform to what might be popular or might, might be in. Or I think I've heard a phrase while I was substituting teachers like on fleek or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but uh, whatever that is. You know, don't, don't, don't change yourself to, to be accepted by the culture, but 
exude the joy that's within you because of what Christ has done for you. Let people see the beauty of your Savior through the truth that you know and has been given to you. Adults, do you want to be beautiful? Don't wait for your coworkers and your family members to ask about your faith or to ask if they can go to church with you. They're probably not going to do it, you know. We need to be intentional about, about moving conversations to the gospel. We need to be intentional about transitioning uh, someone's problem or question or concern into maybe how God has helped us deal with that. So you can go and share the gospel. There's so many different ways you can do it. Um, if, uh, if you're looking for a strategy, you know, you can come and ask uh, Kevin or me and, and we, can, we can help you. Maybe what's a, what's a quick and concise way to kind of share your faith? We'd love to help you out with that. But um, again, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to proclaim the gospel. Retired people, do you want to be beautiful? Please, please don't spend your time complaining about the younger generation. And instead, take some time to take one of those people in the younger generation under your wing. One or two or three or five of them, however much you have time for and energy for. <laughs> I understand. And, uh, and take them and show them what it means to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Show them your mistakes and your successes and help them to live a, a life with Christ at the center of their life. Model for them what it looks like. Then you can be a part of making the next generation Christ-centered, God-honoring, mission-minded. Be one of those people. Be beautiful in the eyes of God. There's not enough beautiful people in our congregation today. There's not enough beautiful feet walking around in, in our churches here. You know, there's, there's four categories of people in this passage. There's, there's two that are beautiful and two that are not beautiful. The first category that we see in, in, chapter, in verse 14 is the people who have never heard of Christ. They cannot be beautiful because they've never been exposed to the beautiful one. They've never been exposed to the beauty of the gospel. Of course, they can't be beautiful. They're in need. They're in need of us to go and tell them. The next category is a beautiful category. Those who sinned. In order for there to be people sent, there must be people to send. I, I, uh, I was a missionary in El Salvador for three years. I had to raise my own support. Uh, there was no way that I could have lived one day in another country unless uh, many, many of you helped out and, uh, as well as others. If, if others did not give me support and pray for me, that I might uh, be able to go. Uh, we need people to send. I'd encourage you to really consider uh, how you can use your finances and your resources to be senders if, in fact, you aren't called to go. The third category is another, the second category beautiful category, those who are sent. Now, before you start to think of like, oh yeah, I know somebody who's sent. I know, but I know some missionaries that are doing great work. Or, or I know somebody who'd be a really good missionary one day. You know, I might talk to her or him about this. Before you start thinking there, you can, you can go there later. But right now, I want you to focus in and I want you to look at yourself. I want you to look at your life right now, where God has put you, the skills he's given you. Why not you? Why can't you be sent? There's this mentality 
There's this mentality of those in the church that's kind of like, well, I'm willing to go, but I'm planning to stay, you know. I'm, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good work. Maybe, maybe, maybe evangelize the people around me, maybe do that. Uh, but, you know, if God wants me to go, he'll make it really clear. He'll make it really clear. He'll, he'll just open the door and push me through, right? And So I'm willing to go, but I'm kind of planning to stay. And that's become the default plan for our lives, I need you, I need you to, to, to listen and, and just know that I'm, uh, I'm going to challenge you right now. I'm going to really challenge you. This is not really something you agree with or disagree with. This is something you need to respond to and take some time today, this week, this month, year, the years to come. And you need to consider maybe this should be the plan of my life. Why can't the default plan for our lives be I'm planning to go but willing to stay? In other words, I'm going to go, I'm going to plan to go to another place. I'm, I've got some good job skills, you know. I'm, I'm just going to do what I would do here and just do them in another country that might even need them more than they need them here. And while I'm there, I'm going to, to witness to those who haven't heard the name of Christ. Why can't our default plan be, I'm going to plan to go, and then if God just absolutely says no, he just shuts the door and he pulls you back and plants you here, you're willing to stay. We need to consider, why not that default plan? And then the last category, the fourth category, the the unbeautiful category, those who are just disobedient. Those who are disobedient to either evangelize to the nations, to send people out, or or to even evangelize in their own place. These people uh, have no good category in the New Testament. They're simply disobedient. You know, just want to challenge you. Right now, the IMB... They have so many positions they're looking to fill. There's so many. There's just a long list of a lot of openings uh, for, for both short-term and for long-term. And they have the money to send people. The IMB does not require you to raise your own money. Uh, they are just sending people out. They need people to go. There's a lot of open jobs, and there's ample money right now to send people. It's just the classic example. As Jesus says, the harvest is bountiful, and the workers are few. We need more workers to go. But maybe, maybe you are prepared to go. Maybe you, you're saying, you know, I, I want to go, but I can't right now. Especially maybe some of you that are in school, and you, you, you need to finish. You need to finish school. You need to get out of out of middle school and high school, perhaps, perhaps college degree, and uh, you just got to wait. What can I do to prepare myself now? There's a lot of things you can do to prepare yourself right now. A lot of them are found in that, in that master life study, right, with these spiritual disciplines. It's something, really, whether you're wanting to go or not, you know, these are something that every Christian should be pursuing. You should be seeking to uh, study your Bible, become more familiar with your Bible, with the Word of God. Let it shape your life. Let it, let it begin uh, molding who you are as a believer in Christ. Uh, you need to be daily praying. You know, you had to have fellowship with our, with our God. You cannot have a, a worthwhile uh, relationship with Christ if you're not in communication with Him, if you have no relationship with Him. Uh, one, one good thing to do is to look up a lot of these unreached people groups. You can go on like Joshua Project or go on the IMB site and you can find a, a whole big old list of unreached people groups. Start researching them. Start familiarizing yourself with them. Pray for them. Maybe God will pull you to one of those people groups. And then find and talk with people Find, find and talk with people who have been missionaries or are missionaries right now or, or know a little bit about the process and, and ask them about it. What, what's it like? Maybe God's calling you to do that. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? You know, there's this, um, there's a man named 
John Oswald Sanders. And he was a, he was a man who spent a large part of his life just uh, traveling around the world, and, and he, would, he, would, he would preach the good news. He spoke to, spoke to just millions of people. You know, and something I find really interesting about, about this man, John Oswald Sanders, is, is that he did this throughout his life. Like, he died at age 89, and he was continuing to travel the world and speak all the way up until he died in 1992 at the age of 89. And, you know, something really fascinating about him is from age 70 to 89, he wrote one book a year from from. From uh, 70 to 89, one book a year, like 19, 20 books. And, and I mention that only to just exalt in a life dedicated to the gospel. Just the utter devotion that this man had to not let his life be wasted. Uh, he did not give one thought to just coasting in the self-indulgent lifestyle that so many, that so many people engage in from age 65 to the grave. And you know, John Oswald Sanders, he, uh, he, had, a, he had a story that he, he knew. He knew a man in India, uh, and he, uh, this man was an indigenous missionary. And this indigenous missionary would travel around from village to village, village to village, barefoot. No shoes. You know, it's not, we're not talking about terrain that's nice and comfortable like the stage, you know, or even our nice paved roads or anything. You know, these are, he's in the dirt, he's on the gravel, he's on the rocks. He's going from village to village, village to village, barefoot. His hardships were just so many, so vast. And one day, he, after many miles of walking and after just some really big discouragement, he comes to this village and he enters in and he goes and begins trying to proclaim the gospel to these people. And they utterly reject them. They just reject them and just throw him out of their village. And so this man, dejected, dejected, goes out to the edge of that village. And he just sits down under a tree and just passes out in sleep from exhaustion. And when he awakes, a multitude of people standing around him, uh, waiting to hear him speak. And, and the chief of the village comes out and he explains, you know, while you were sleeping, we came to examine you. And when we saw the blisters on your feet, we knew that you must be a holy man and that we were evil for having cast you out of our village. We want you to share with us now the message that you suffered so much to bring us. That man had beautiful feet. Do you want your feet to be beautiful? What are you willing to do to see the souls of your friends and neighbors and people who have never heard to come and know the name of Jesus? What are you willing to change about your life to have some beautiful feet do you want beautiful feet? Are you willing to change the default plan of your life to why not go? God calls us to be beautiful. I encourage you, have beautiful feet. God, I, I thank you for this opportunity to talk to my brothers, my sisters, my family. God, they've been so uh, good to us, uh, faithful to you and helping to send us 
but God, I, I pray for them that they would also consider why not them? Or who can they send? Or what can they do to see their friends and loved ones come to call you Lord? God, be with this church at, at Northside. May we be a mission-minded church. Uh, may we always be working for your glory and for the salvation of the lost. In your son's name we pray, amen.